Good morning again. Doing double duty today. I did the announcements as well as I will be be bringing the word this morning. Glad again to, to see everybody that's here. Jesus is essential. How many people will give me an amen this morning to start off with? Amen. All right. Does Jesus seem a little more essential these days than maybe in this time last year? I hope so. I think I hope that we're leaning into Jesus instead of into our own selves. Um, today we're going to talk about risk, the risk of following the way. Um, I think most of you have probably heard at least one sermon in this series talking about the way, uh, and that is the way we follow Christ. kind of ties into our theme here is Journey Church. Um, oh, Leslie's telling me I have my sunglasses on still. Thank you. Yeah, it is bright up here. Some, sometimes, depending on the lights, you do need them on. Thank you. But uh, So, you know, the risk of following the way, the risk of doing those things. Well, first of all, we have to talk about what risk is. I, and I think one of the problems we have, we were just talking a little bit about this out in the lobby, which I'll, I'll bring in a little bit later in the, the message concerning coronavirus and risk, is, you know, risk exposes what we value in our lives to danger, harm, or loss. So in other words, the things that we value, the things that we hold dear to us, whether it's our family, whether it's our vocation, you know, whether it's our possessions, risk puts us in danger of either having danger, harm, or loss to those things that we value. Now, we need to look at that from a Christian perspective and determine, okay, what does that look like to me as a follower of the way, a follower of Christ? What does it look like for me in my life to figure out how to adequately manage risk? And I want to start out with probably one of the greatest examples I can think of in Matthew chapter 4. This is verses 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them immediately, he called them, and then immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now, what do you think their idea of risk was? You know, these fishermen, they valued following Jesus more than the risk of abandoning their vocation, their family, everything. They saw the message of Jesus Christ to be so important that they would abandon everything. There, there was no risk in it for them because they had decided that the larger risk was not following Jesus. Now, how do we get to that point? You know, if some Jewish carpenter dude came to you at work on Monday and said, hey, come on and follow me. Quit your job. Don't worry about that. Leave your father in the boat out here. Leave your mom and dad at home. Leave your family. And y'all come follow me right now. How many people are going to do that? It takes a tremendous amount of faith to follow something. Now, we now have the, um, the benefit of having Scripture we have the benefit of having historical record. We have the benefit of seeing how that story ended for the sons of Zebedee, what happened to them. And we'll talk a little bit about that, the persecution and things that they, that they faced for, for following the way. But when they accepted that calling, when they accepted that risk to their lives, they didn't know any of that. They were absolutely, purely working on the faith that Jesus was who he said he was and was going to do what he said he would do, and it was worth abandoning everything else in their lives to do that. That's a strong faith, isn't it? That's a very strong faith. Now, today, I don't know. You know, we're so wrapped up in our worldly things, our jobs, our families, our, you know, our 
entertainment, our sports, everything that we're so involved in, you know, would we even give up one of those areas, much less all of it, if that's what it took to follow Jesus? There are some people that seem to think that, well, you don't have enough faith if you don't do all those things. Well, yeah, but we look at Paul. Look at Paul. Did Paul abandon his vocation to follow Jesus? No. Paul was a tent maker. We see that somehow Paul kept his vocation in order to help support himself as well as preaching the gospel. And he was a bold preacher of the gospel. He was persecuted. He was followed by gangs, basically. Everywhere he preached, someone came trying to either shut him up or kill him. But yet, he didn't give up his vocation. He kept tent making. So again, there's multiple examples, and we can't just throw this blanket over and say, well, if you have enough faith, you're just going to drop everything you're doing and follow Jesus right now, and he's going to show you that way. It works different in each of our lives, I think. Jesus knows us. He knows our personalities. He knows our skills. He knows where we're gifted, and he gives us those gifts, so he lets us use them in the best way possible. And so when we look at our faith and how risk affects our faith in our lives, we have to figure out one thing is that Jesus already knows what's going on there. But now, what are some examples for you? I've talked a little bit about it here to just kind of frame our discussion this morning. What are some examples of risks, risks that you might take as an individual, as a family, as an as a, uh, employee? What are some risks? Give me some examples. Anybody? What's that? Project proposals. That's a good one. You go to your boss and you have this project and you have to say, okay, am I confident enough in my abilities and my skills and my job to present this to my superior? And are they going to like it? Are they going to laugh at me? Are they going to think I don't know what I'm doing? That's a risk. Um, That would be another one, Leslie, that reminds me of one. How many of you in this room are married? What about proposal? Duh. Is there a risk there? What What if that person turns you down? Yes, yeah, some people are confident enough, they're like, who would turn me down, right? <laughs> That's what Leslie down here is saying, and I would agree with that. Now, Karen, I, I had no risk involved there because I knew you would say yes, right? And yeah. yeah, she's just shaking her head and laughing at me like she so often does. But yeah, there's a risk in proposing. What, and what is the risk there? What, what, what are we risking? Rejection is one thing we're risking. How about risking that relationship if we ask too soon? Maybe it's not the time to ask yet, so we're risking what we really want in the end goal is to be married to this person for the rest of our lives, but we're trying to decide, is this the time to risk asking? Because if I push and it seems too soon or I'm not seemingly sincere enough, my end goal may be sabotaged because of the risk involved. And that's the kind of things we're talking about. Um, Karen gave me a good example yesterday where we were talking, we like to watch racing, me more so than her still, but she, she still sits down and watches races with me, and she understands a lot of what's going on, uh, more than just your average casual fan would. And we were talking about when you're in a race, in a NASCAR stock car race, it's one of the things that we watch, there is the risk of What do you do about pit stops and maintenance on your car in the race? Okay, you're leading the race, okay? You're going around here, and you've got a a fairly comfortable lead. Now you have to determine, if I pit now, what will that do to my lead? The lead is going to get you to the eventual goal of winning the race. If you're not leading on the last lap, you're not going to win. So now how do I mitigate the risk? How do I figure out, while I'm in this race, should I pit now? 
Okay, let's decide I'm going to pit. Now, here's the next thing. I'm going to lose time while my car is sitting stationary and everybody else is running around. It's eating into my lead, etc. Now, here's what I've got to determine. When I come into the pits, do I take two tires, four tires, gasoline? Those are all considerations that these um, uh, pit crews and crew chiefs have to make in the races. They have to decide, how do I figure out to get to my end goal, what are the risks, and how do I handle those risks in this situation? You can take on fuel only, but you might do that, and your tires will go away. Your tires will wear, and you'll lose your lead. You can take two tires, but if the guy that pits after you takes four, his car may perform better, and he may pass you. You may take four tires and fuel, but the fuel load, the weight of it can slow your actual car down in the lap time. So these guys are sitting here trying to mitigate all of that risk and trying to figure out how to get to that end goal. Is that not what we do every day? To some extent, we're looking at the factors, trying to figure out where our end goal is and how do we manage the risk? How do we figure out what is going to be good for me, good for my family, and good to get me to this end goal? Now, one thing I didn't mention here about risk is what's something that a lot of Christians like to do but very seldom admit to it? Boy, that's a loaded question, isn't it? What would be the general term for something that happens that we don't want to talk about? What sin? Who said that? Somebody got the right answer back there. Wayne got my answer. Sin. Is there a risk to committing a sin? You better believe it. Now, here's the thing about it. We try and analyze the risk of sin against our peers. Okay. If I do this, who will find out about it? Will it make me look bad to my Christian brothers and sisters? Will it make me look bad to the people I work with or my friends? You know, if I commit this sin, what's it going to look like? You know, will anybody find out? Well, here's where our thinking is wrong in that risk proposal. Do you know there is no risk in sinning? You know why I say that? Because God has told us that he knows the end result and he already knows before you even do it, what's going to happen. We act like because it doesn't get out to our peers, it doesn't get out to our family, it doesn't get out to our co-workers, it doesn't get out to the people we go to church with, that that sin had no consequence. Well, guess what? You're not sinning against those people necessarily. Now, some of the things we do may impact somebody else, and it may be we sin against a brother or sister in Christ or someone in the world. But who is that sin ultimately against? God. That sin is against God. And in in the book of Numbers, chapter 32, and this is not in our slides, it says in the end part of verse 23, Numbers 32, 23, and you can look it up later if you'd like, it says, your sin will find you out. Does that sound like there's a risk involved there? That sounds like that's a 100% sure thing, doesn't it? That's that's one of those things, if you went into, and I won't ask for a show of hands of the casino bettors in the room or sports bettors, but if you went into there and it was like in the movie Back to the Future, remember when he goes back and he's got the, the book that shows all the winners of the baseball games? You could go back and you could could bet that I know this is a foregone conclusion. This is what's going to happen if I bet on this sports team. They're going to win and I'm going to win money from it. Totally do that. We have some honest people here. I would be very tempted to do that. I don't know. And if it's a sin, if you know or not, that's a bit much deeper theological discussion if you're cheating the system. But it's like that with God. God's got the playbook up here in heaven. He knows when you sin what's going to happen. And he's told you, I already know about it, and I can tell you the end result. So the risk is not there. It's a predetermined thing. God is going to find out, and he will know you have sinned against him. 
And that's where we have to, to figure out we're not risking exposure to other people, other people in the church, other people that we work with, people in our family. Our risk is that we're offending the Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe, a powerful God that can become angry with us. How many believe God gets angry with us? You know, if your spouse gets angry with you, don't you think God does? I mean, my goodness. But we seem to have this image of God as this elderly, grandfatherly guy up here that pats us on the back and says, it'd be okay, you'll be okay. And that's not the way it works. You read the Old Testament, especially what happened to Israel when they sinned. Oh, my goodness. People people say, oh, you know, you know, I want to have the relationship that Israel had with God. I don't want no part of that relationship, y'all, because when they messed up, God was, was very faithful to let them know they had messed up. There are many things that they wanted, you know, that he said, for example, it was what was called a theocracy. God was the head of their earthly kingdom. They decided they wanted an earthly king like everybody around them. And God said, y'all sure that's what you want? Yes, God, we want one of those guys. We want one. So he's going to conscript your young men into wars. He's going to do this. He's going to live for his... Are y'all sure that's what you want? Yeah, give me one of them. And then the resu- results were disastrous, just as God had told them it would be. So, you know, you have all these things where we think of God as somebody who's, who he's not. He's not going to come rescue us from some stupid situations, too, like that, when he's warned us about them. But, you know, how do we manage risk? Let's go to our slide on risk. This is something I found online. This is something I do as a as a as an IT guy, as a project manager. Is all those things have risk? Anybody do project management type work in this room? Anybody ever done anything? Yeah, we got a couple of folks that do that. What is the number one thing you want to eliminate from your project? Risk. You don't want something to screw up the plan. You know that's hard to do sometimes. But we first of all we assess what the risks are. Now, that's one of the things we have to do. We have to look out around us and say, if I do this, what is the risk to the outcome? You know, what are the the factors that do that? Um, identifying the risk. You know, we have to assess what it does, identify it. Um, actually, I would identify it, then assess, and then control. You know, well, you got to figure out what that risk is. Okay, how am I going to manage that risk? That's going to be our big thing. That's what controlling risk is about. And that's what I'm going to tell you. As Christians, as followers of the way, that's something that's going to trip you up. Because what you try and do is instead of jumping out of the boat like the sons of Zebedee did and not worrying about it, you start saying, well, God, if I do that, who's going to feed me tomorrow? You know, we fish for a living. That not only feeds us, but it feeds other families. And the income keeps our families housed and clothed and all those things. So, God, if I jump out of the boat, which reminds me of a great book. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. It's a great book. You need to read that one sometime. But if you stay in that boat, you're not going to do what God's asking you to. You're going to start looking at the risk. Okay, who is this Jesus? Well, unfortunately, back then they did not have Google, so they couldn't search Jesus and see his record to see who he was. You know, that's that's a funny story I, I noticed locally. I think, I believe it was, was it one of our our. Uh, city positions that they had failed to Google the lady, and she had this this huge court case where she had come from, and all these these things that she was accused of, and our leadership had failed to even Google her as an employee. You know, so so there's risk. You know, you would want to know who's this person I'm going to follow. What are they all about? You know, what what could possibly happen to me? Now, again, if we had our little time machine, would you follow Jesus, knowing what was going to happen to him? 
You know, I wonder about that. I believe a guy named Peter, I, I might question whether he would have followed if he'd known he was going to be put under the gun and said, do you know that man we're fixing to crucify? Because <laughs> I don't know him. I don't know nothing about him. Don't mix me up in this. If you knew that going in, would you still follow Jesus? Would you overcome the risk to follow Jesus? That's where we're in a different situation than the disciples were. They were taking God at his word through Jesus Christ in the flesh. They were saying, what this man I believe is true, and I'm going to follow him no matter what. Now, we often say we have the advantage of having the historical scriptural records to tell us we should follow God or not. The problem is we also saw that those outcomes weren't always rosy, were they? How many of the disciples lived a nice, normal life and, and went on to you know, age gracefully in their gardens with their children and grandchildren? Zero. What happened to them? They were persecuted, weren't they? Bad things happened to them. So we know that. Now, sometimes we seem to ignore that, person of, that part of Scripture, that portion of Scripture, because we think of God as the elderly grandfather that's just taking care of our wishes and needs. And so we kind of, that's one way we mitigate the risk is we don't even think about it. But if you're going to review this, look at, back on our graphic real quick. You review the controls. You figure out, how am I managing this risk? How am I going to make sure I don't get in trouble with my risk of following Jesus? Now, when we start to follow Jesus, you know, one of the things that Scripture clearly tells us is following the way means we will risk being persecuted. Okay? That is a hard concept for some of us, depending on how we define persecution. If I go out today and I'm talking to the person in line at Walmart and say, hey, man, we had a great church service this morning, which you all need to go out and say because I'm teaching this morning. That is an expectation, right? We had a great message. It was about risk. And let me tell you about this in the Walmart line because I think this is something we all should know about. What's the risk there? What's the risk? Are you going to be imprisoned? Are you going to be beaten? Eh, maybe if you really tick somebody off at the Walmart, they'll beat you over wearing a mask or not, so you never know. So what, what is the risk there? Rejection, maybe embarrassment. How many of you don't share your faith because you don't think you know enough about your own faith? I'll be honest, I sometimes don't do that because there are people out there that are very intellectual that are spiritually dead, if that makes sense to you. There are people that know a whole lot about the Bible. They know a whole lot about how to argue concepts within Scripture, but they don't have it in their heart. You know what? That heart is the Holy Spirit living in you. You know what? The Holy Spirit Spirit is more intellectual than the greatest intellectual on earth. He created those people. He knows the truth. That's what we call the way. The way is the truth. And we have the advantage of knowing that. But oftentimes, we don't want to take the risk of sharing that because of the, the, the type of persecution we will see. Now, Let's talk about that persecution a little bit. And I've used this as an example often, you know, of how Christians get it wrong. And I don't like to pick on Christians all the time, but we're easy targets because we do dumb things, okay? We're just, we're just low-hanging fruit on that, that tree of who to make fun of. When we go out and say we're being persecuted because Starbucks changes their cup design, we look like fools to the world. We look stupid. That's, a, that's an absolutely inconsequential thing to argue about, okay? When we get into those vain stupid arguments, it discredits us in the world, okay? So what happens when something important comes up? What happens then, as, as we've been doing as a church and as a community of believers, 
we start to interact with our brothers and sisters that don't look like us in the community. Those people, those churches that have black people, brown people, Asian people, when we start interacting with those people and we say, hey, this isn't right, you're persecuting them. They say, yeah, you also said that about Starbucks, y'all. I don't believe you. So we have a risk in what we say in public and how it will be taken. Many of us ignore that, unfortunately. What what has happened to us as a nation is we are taking arguments that may have some biblical points in them, and we have turned them into political arguments. And so what happens is when you start arguing along those lines, God checks out of the conversation because you're arguing politics and not promoting truth. Now, deep in your heart, you may think you're promoting truth, but what we do is we get so wrapped up in that, the truth gets buried about six levels deep down here somewhere, and the truth never comes out of the conversation because we're more interested in winning the argument than we are in presenting truth. That's where I was going to talk a little bit about this morning, statistics and things that, that we go through in managing risk. Why do you think we asked people to wear masks in here this morning? Why do you think we did that? Respect for others, care, what else? Lower the risk. Bruce got it. Lower the risk. This is not a political statement by Journey Church, as it is in much of our community. That's the reason you see so much vehement arguments about wearing masks or not. It's not because people are caring or uncaring, et cetera, et cetera. It's been turned into a political battle, and you're expected to take one side or the other. We're a church. We don't care about that stuff. We serve a kingdom higher than this. Our concern is to make sure if we as shepherds, Mark and myself, if we as the shepherds of this church bring you together as the flock, we want to make sure you're safe, okay? That's how we how we look at risk. That is one of the things that has been frustrating for us as, as a church is how to do this. You know, we didn't know what to do. We'll just be honest with you. We've had many conversations about Mark, myself, and the elders, uh, which we are part of that, that group of five. We have had multiple conversations about how to handle this. You know why? There's not a clear-cut thing. Let's, let's turn to Corona, chapter 32, verse 15, and it'll tell us how to do that. Boy, that would be nice if it was that easy, wouldn't it? But it isn't. So we've had to figure out how to manage risks for our church and for the people that we love and to make sure we keep you safe. It's not a statement about one thing or the other, and we'll, we'll get into that in just a minute as well. You know, but we've had to manage risk, and it's hard to manage risk without facts, isn't it? If you don't know the facts, that's one of our conversations this morning was, okay, if there was something that was very factual that hadn't been misrepresented, it'd be a lot easier. You know, there was a gentleman, I believe he was in the United Kingdom, I can't remember if it was Cambridge, I cannot remember the university he was associated with. At any rate, this gentleman, who we based as the United States, based a lot of our numbers on, predicted, I think it was like 200 and something million deaths. It was an, an extraordinary number that he predicted, okay? That was what got us kind of off of zero and moved us to taking some action in the United States against the coronavirus. Now, the problem was, in his model and his risk analysis, his model was flawed. One of the things that he assumed was that no one would do anything to mitigate the spread. No one would wear a mask. No one would close a business. No one would close a school. No one would socially distance. That absolutely nothing would be done 
to mitigate the risk. And so what happened was when he released those numbers, and then you got to looking back at it, his model was flawed. His data was bad. And that's the thing that we have fought as a church throughout this pandemic is finding good, solid data. And I'll be honest, one of the things that we base our numbers are on are active cases in Hamilton County and hospitalizations. That tells me how many people are sick and how sick they are. That's one of the things that we have seen is not... We thought this is a pretty steady number. This is something we can look at and feel good as a church, that this is something we're doing to manage risk in our church and risk to our people. However, we even found that there was some erroneous information there. When you looked at the Hamilton County Health Department numbers, they then started telling you, well, yes, there's 100 people in the hospital, but 40 to 50% of those came from North Georgia somewhere else. They're not actually Hamilton County residents. Well, that changes the risk. That changes how you analyze the data. And what happens is Christians, we keep trying to analyze the data. We keep trying to figure out how do we do the right thing. Now, had we come in here and we said no mask, et cetera, et cetera, no precautions, and somebody got sick, what's the risk? Obviously, somebody could get sick and die. What's the other risk as a church? Lawsuit. That's a good one, Goose. Lawsuit. What else? What's that? Yeah, the the blame, the other thing is your reputation in the community, isn't it? That's one of the things that we don't, we don't want to be the church that makes the news for bad things, especially. You don't want to be that church, you don't want to be that church that the, the local news is covering because of what you did. So you risk being persecuted by others for your decisions. There are churches today that will say what we're doing is wrong. There are pastors that will say on both sides of it. Okay, there are pastors that are saying, you're being too cautious. That's silly. You don't have enough faith. And there are other pastors that will say, you can do this online. There is no reason you should ever meet. And we have to mitigate that risk by following Christ and using the things we know. But 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. That tells me no matter what decision that we make as an elder team, somebody ain't going to like it. Somebody in our church isn't going to like it. Somebody in the community is not going to like it. Somebody in the news isn't going to like it. No matter what you do, somebody's not going to like it, and you risk persecution. I can give you an example of this. How many of you remember when we went with our good friends at Kingdom Partners, and we went to a rally downtown to promote racial reconciliation and healing in our community? Some of y'all remember that. Do you know how? Even though we carefully crafted everything we said about that, invited the news media to come and observe, we had pastors sitting there on stage washing each other's feet. Black pastors washing white pastors, white pastors washing black people's feet. So that we could demonstrate that we were brothers and sisters in Christ and there were things more important than race and that we truly love each other and we want to see what is best For all people. And we do believe that that black lives have been affected disproportionately. And we want that message to go forth. And we wanted to show that to our community. You know what the news said? Protesters. That is exactly what they said. That is a form of persecution. When somebody blatantly mischaracterizes what you are doing, that was a persecution against us. They could have simply said, and one of the guys that was an offender was there watching what was happening. There was no protest going on. They said this was the such-and-such night of protests in Chattanooga. The protesters had taken a break that night and were at City Hall 
demanding some things be done about the budget and the police department. They weren't even on the property, but yet we were characterized because of what. Who do you think was behind that? Media. I think that's a good answer. Who do you think's really behind that? Satan. Satan, our enemy. Yeah, we need we need my wife Karen to do her church lady impersonation from Saturday Night Live. Who could it be now? Who would it be? Who could it be? Satan. That's who it is, though, folks. In all seriousness, that's who leads the media to do things, leads people to to misconstrue facts, and leads to persecution. You know, but here's the bottom line: is our trust in God must overpower the risk presented to us so that we can follow the way. Continuing on, are you will are we willing to accept the high risk of being persecuted in order to follow the way? We know it's going to happen. We don't know the form persecution is going to take. I've talked about that a little bit today. It could be it could be death. Somebody could kill you. The government currently is not going to kill you or imprison you for speaking the word, but that could change. We don't know. Some countries don't have that freedom. But second Timothy three, ten through twelve says you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me indeed. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, the question is, are you willing to risk being persecuted to say and do the right things. That's what the bottom line for this message is about risk, is are you willing to take that risk of having someone persecute you? Someone, it may be a disagreement. It may be a family member that doesn't doesn't think that going to church is that important. It may be, you know, a spouse that doesn't, doesn't follow the way as you do. But are you willing to risk that? Because we are told here in 2 Timothy it's going to happen. It's not going to be a smooth road. Frustrates me to death when pastors talk about how great it is following Jesus, but don't tell anybody about the risk. Because what happens is when you become a follower of Christ and you face obstacles in your life and you've not been told about the risk, you give up. You quit. You shut down. You say, this isn't worth it. Nobody told me this was going to be this way because we like to talk about the good things about God. And I do because the gospel, the truth, the way, those are all fantastic things for us. But they don't always immediately benefit us here on this earth. It's for a bigger kingdom. And we get this perspective that it's going to make us rich. How many of you have heard pastors say that, that it will make you rich? Y'all have heard that on TV. Now, come on. How many of you seen televangelists? How many of them have told you, if you give, you'll be blessed. If you give to my ministry. And there's some truth in giving to the kingdom, but not into individual ministries. You know, I'm very disappointed. We have been doing televangelism since, what, March? Mark and I do not have our own private plane. You know, I'm just saying. Somebody needs to step it up here. You know, televangelists seem to make a lot of things. And we're being televised. We have millions. Okay. Thousands, maybe hundreds of viewers out there every week that watch us, okay? We still don't have a jet plane. Should I feel persecuted? Those other guys got it. That's something we do too, guys. Do you compare your life to other Christians that feel you're being persecuted because you don't have what they have? Wow. I mean, that can be, that can be a problem as well when you start looking at the risk. 
But Jesus has mitigated the risk in our lives by telling us up front what's going to happen when we follow him. There's a risk involved. There's a risk of persecution. In our model up there, Jesus has already told us what may and will likely happen is persecution. But here's a good statement. If we don't trust God, we will soon begin to focus more and more on what we feel is best for us. We will eliminate risk rather than trusting God. That's where, as the old pastor, uh, J. Vernon McGee, did anybody ever listen to him on the radio? He was on local radio. J. Vernon McGee, he was a southern pastor that wound up in California, I think is where his ministry was. He said, well, I'm telling y'all right now, this is where the rubber meets the road. That was his saying when he was getting ready to do a truth. And this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. This is the ultimate truth is if we don't learn to trust God or others, we become self-focused. Mark said that two weeks ago in his teaching on the way, that when we begin to become self-focused, we lose focus on God. Now, we talked about what are some ways God speaks to us. That's what that was from. What, what are ways God speaks to us? Anybody remember any? Not through the media. Good answer. What else? How does God speak to you? Through his word, prayer. What else? Holy Spirit. Good. Your children. What else? How about other Christians, other believers? That's another one that he uses. So to keep from becoming self-focused, what happens is when we, we become self-focused, we do everything we can to get that risk out of our lives. Because what happens is, okay, when I become self-focused, when I start trying to manage that risk so desperately because I don't want it to affect my life, it affects my testimony. Okay? How many of you would openly share your faith with a coworker? A few hands go up, yeah. How many of you would do the same thing with your boss? Yeah, got some good good answers there. How many of you think there's more risk in sharing with your boss than there is your coworker? Yeah, most people would agree with that. It, and it depends on who your boss is in the situation, and it depends on how open they are to a presentation of the gospel, etc. However, most of us would would start looking at risk. Okay, you're dating someone. Do you share your faith if they're not a Christian and tell them that's a condition of being married? Woo, big risk there, isn't there? What if, what if you're dating someone that doesn't believe in Christ? Do you share that with them and risk the relationship because you're not sure how they're going to react? When you start doing that, what are you doing? You're managing self. You're trying to take care of that risk and get that risk as low as possible by not rocking the boat. Now, does Jesus ever tell us not to rock the boat? Nope. Matter of fact, I believe I remember examples in Scripture of a raging storm on the sea with disciples absolutely freaking out that we're going to sink and die in a storm, and Jesus is snoozing down below because he's not worried about it. There is a different perspective when we quit focusing on self and start focusing on kingdom. You know, and I wouldn't I wouldn't guarantee you I would have had absolutely no different view than the disciples on that boat did in that storm. I'd been down there saying, you need to wake up and do something. (laughs) What are you doing sleeping? We're all going to drown. Your kingdom's going to be lost. We're not going to be able to present anything you're saying if we all die out here and drown. That's a very earthly, very selfish view of what God can do. If God wanted you to die in that, do you not think he would use it in some way to proclaim the gospel? Do you think God hadn't planned ahead if that event had happened that somehow 
that the truth would still propagate throughout the world. God has such a much bigger view of that than we do. And until we get that view, until we get the idea that we have, we can't manage the risk. God is the one that's doing all of this for us. He's just using us as his vessels to proclaim the truth in the world. And until we get that view, we are never going to take the risk that we should to share the gospel with others. We are always going to be second-guessing ourselves, thinking, well, you know, if I go into this ministry, you know, when we need volunteers, when we need a teacher for a kid's class, well, God, I don't know if I could do that. You know, what, what if I can't do this? God, what if I can't? God, what if this happens? God, what if that happens? Instead of saying, you know, I'm going to be like those sons of Zebedee guys. I'm gonna, just going to jump out and follow you. I know if you're asking me to do this, and I believe it is you asking me through through the leadership of the church is asking me to do this, I'm going to do it, and you're going to supply me with what I need to do, what you want me to do. That's what we do is we start if we expand our view that God's going to equip us to do what he wants us to do, it changes us. It changes us from the inside out. We're no longer looking at, you know, can we do this? Uh, the story of Moses, Moses and Aaron. Moses is big. Th- okay, Moses, you're the man. You're going to lead my people out of Egypt. You're going to go to that Pharaoh. You're going to give him my word, and you're going to lead those people out of captivity. You know what Moses said? Oh, God, I stutter, and I don't speak very good. That was his answer. Now, God does have a way of doing that. Okay, we'll let Aaron speak for you. You tell Aaron what to say. Oh, shoot, God, that is not what I wanted. I wanted to really get out of this. Truth be told, I'm not so much worried about my stammering speeches as I'm worried about the risk to me, to the people of Israel, What if I go to the Pharaoh and I screw this up and I condemn our people? What if I'm not the leader you really need, God? I don't see in me what you see in me. God, I don't want to take the risk. I'm afraid I will mess up your kingdom. It's a legitimate thing that some of us consider. God, I'm going to mess up your kingdom worse by stepping out. Do you think God's going to let that happen? If you're faithful and you're doing the things that God through the Holy Spirit is leading you to do, do you think he's going to make you so unequipped that you're just going to ruin his kingdom? I don't think that's going to happen. Scripture doesn't say that. It says well, he will be equipped with good gifts. What is the sign that we're Christians? What is one of the signs of us being a Christian that Scripture tells us? Fruit. The fruit that we bear in our ministries, the things that we do. You know, And we're always harder on ourselves than anybody else. I will tell you that Mark and I sometimes don't know how to how to evaluate how good we're doing as a church. We don't know. We just try and be faithful and do what God is telling us. I don't know if there should be twice as many people here and I should have the event hall open. I don't know if half of you should be here or should have stayed home. I don't know those things. I just have to trust God that he's leading us in the right direction. Because the only way we do this, again, we're talking about data and risk and things. What's the one data as a pastor I can see visibly? What's the one thing I can see this morning that's extremely visible? How many people are here? It's a quantifiable number. I can see that. Is it a good number? I don't know. I, we have no idea. If, if, if there's more people than we can handle and they're backed out into the road out here, we're going to say it's a good number. Oh, that's good. God is blessing us. If they're going out and their lives aren't changed, we're not doing anything. And that's what we have to do. We have to figure out the risks, the data, all these things that... And what happens is we start trying to figure it out. Well, okay, today, should we give everybody a mask? Would that 
would that make numbers better? Should we, you know, do assigned seating? Should do, and you start going through all these iterations of what should I do when all I really need to do is say, God, show me what to do. Show me how to do this. And if there's something I'm not learning, show me. You know, sometimes God needs to, you know, gives us the slap to the back of the head to show us. Sometimes we need to say, okay, yeah, here I am, God. That got my attention. I understand what you're saying. But now, here's the final thing I want to tell you about risk. You know, taking a risk doesn't necessarily show you have faith. And you're going to say, well, Scott, you just, you just disagreed with everything you've already said this morning. Let me, let me put this in context for you. This will be our final passage of Scripture this morning. Matthew 4, verses 6 through 7. And he said to them, if you are the son, this is Satan, Satan tempting Jesus. He said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. So what, what, and just as a, a side note, Deuteronomy 6, 16 is what what Jesus was referring to when he says it is written, uh, Deuteronomy 6 says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at, at Massa. Testing God. What was Satan trying to do there? He was trying to get Jesus. He was talking about risk. He's like, Jesus, there is absolutely no risk. If God's who he says he is, you can jump off this high place and the angels are going to come and you won't even stump your toe when you jump off. It's what Satan's telling him. Jesus says that's not the way we manage risk. That's not, we don't intentionally do risk to make God show off, is what he's saying. That's the problem we have with churches today. In this, this epidemic of coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus, we have churches that are telling their people that your test of faith is will you come to church and sit next to your brothers and sisters in Christ without a mask. That's what they're saying. They're saying if you have the faith that you should have, Jesus is going to take care of you, and if you come in here without a mask on and y'all all hug and you kiss each other and everything, God's going to take care of you. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like Satan saying, yeah, and if you go over here and jump off the building, you won't get hurt either. That is what, that's what we're saying. Just because you take an unnecessary risk doesn't show your faith either. We have to consider in the wholeness of Scripture, what is your motivation? The motivation there is to show everybody in the world that God took care of me. Well, God's showing that through his fruitfulness in your life, the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, the things that you're doing. That's how God's showing off in your life is, is how his kingdom is growing through the people that you touch and you minister to. That's what God wants to show. God doesn't want to come in and say, I'm going to show you none of my people are going to get sick. Now, he has done that. Look at what he did in um, Egypt through the plagues and the things there. He showed off there, didn't he? He came in and said, look here, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to, this is going to show you who God is. He, apparently he's not working that way today. We had a church in Cleveland. We talk about churches that you don't want to be that church. They came, they didn't follow enough precautions apparently. And they had three people in their church die. Now, if you're using this as the model that, you know, my taking a risk shows my faith in Christ. What did that say about God? God failed in that church, didn't he? If God was who God says he is, wouldn't those people be alive today? Why did he not protect them from this disease? Why did he not keep them healthy? God's not who he says he is. Why or who in the world would want that message to go out? 
It's not God, it's Satan. It's Satan tempting us to do something so he can discredit God in front of the entire world. He is telling us to take an unnecessary risk so that we can prove who God is. And God's saying, that's not the way I even work. He, he showed us through Jesus. I don't do it this way. You know, I'm not about making you take unnecessary risk to prove that you love me. I'm about you just loving me and letting me manage the risk in your life. That's what, what God is telling us. That's the reason we take the direction we do as a church during this entire time. And that's not to beat up on other churches, but I am seeing this argument. I am seeing this argument in the world and in churches and in states and in lawsuits and all this is that if we want to be foolish, we should be able to. And I'll agree with that. If you want to be an idiot and do something risky, that's up to you, okay? But if you think that's proving your faith to God, you are ignoring Scripture blatantly. If you think that that is showing your faith by taking unnecessary risk. I mean, by the same token, unfortunately, we're in Karen's car and not mine today, or we could have gone a little faster on the way. Should I run 180 miles an hour down the freeway with no seatbelt on to prove that God loves me? Because, well, God, I'm going to go teach for you, and I won't even get pulled over. I'm going to prove to all the police officers and all the people around that, hey, I can top my car out coming to church this morning, and God's going to take care of me because he loves me and wants me to bring the word this morning. Right? That ain't, that ain't the way it works. So why do we think when we wrap that message in just a little bit of Christianity, I don't want to even say Christianity, we, we wrap that message in a little bit of religion that it suddenly becomes valid. We wrap a little religious covering over what we really want to do anyway. We're, we're not wanting to bring you to church to show that that you know we're serious Christians. We're bringing to bring you to church without your masks on, without social distancing. When the pastor does that, he's wanting to prove a, a political point to the government that I don't agree with your your mandates. Okay, and I agree there is some balance there. We have a system in America. Uh, the scriptures tell us to obey authority. That's clear. In the United States, there is a method of giving grievances against those authorities. We have free elections. We have multiple ways that we can go, and we can challenge those things. So I'm not saying that you blindly follow. I'm not saying that you blindly um, disobey. There are methods here that God has provided us through our country. You're not sinning when, if the mayor were to say, I don't think any churches should meet till there's zero cases of coronavirus anywhere. You should never meet again. We have a way to have a grievance about that. That's not disobeying God. That's using the system that God has provided for us. And we can say, look, Mayor, we don't agree with you. We think we should be able to meet freely. We're going to take the same precautions that the Walmart and Lowe's and Home Depot are taking. We're going to wear masks. We're going to socially distance. And we're going to be as absolutely safe as possible. But we think that worshiping God is a big deal. You know, and now we may have to go back to online if we don't think it's as safe or if, if there's a caseload. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying right now, with what we can do, we're doing what we can. We're managing that risk as we think God would have us manage it. And I'm glad to see you that are comfortable being here today. If you're watching online, that's great. If you're watching online during the week and you're not watching live, there is no level of Christian obedience in this, that you get a gold star. You get five stars if you come in person and wear a mask. You know, Well, actually, 
you can't reach that five-star level unless you sit and hug each other and don't wear a mask, okay? So, you know, you can't do that. So, no. But seriously, you can't get this this level here is no different than the person that's watching at home this morning because of the circumstances we're in. We're not forsaking the assembly. We're managing risk in a smart manner. We're doing what God thinks to do to keep us safe and not tempt God, not test God. Now, there are ways we can test God that are good ways. We can say, God, you said you're going to be faithful. I'm going to go out and I'm going to carry out your word into this world, and I'm going to trust that you take care of it. And he'll do that. It just may not be the results we see. When we work for the kingdom, and I'll close with this point, when we work for the kingdom, where are our treasures stored up? Heaven. We're not going to see the results of the things that we do. We will see some of the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working through us. We can see those things in our lives and in our community, but we're not going to see the ultimate end results till we get to heaven and we see what those crowns are. That's what we're working towards. And we're not working towards it for a reward for us. We're working for those crowns so that we can lay them at God's feet and say, thank you for being the faithful God you are. That's what this is all about. That's how we manage risk in our lives. And I I just want to leave you with the, the, the statement that if you can't accept some risk in your life to follow Jesus, you probably need to reevaluate your relationship with Christ. If you are in a deep enough relationship that you feel comfortable doing what he asks you to do and that he is going to be faithful to you. That's what I want us to, to remember as we pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity to be, be here today, Lord. I thank you for the health of those in our community who are healthy enough to, to come here this morning and worship you in, in person, God. I, I thank you for the the guidance and hopefully the wisdom we are using here to keep our, our folks safe and healthy. And and God, I just pray that as we, we look so much, everything we do today, God, is involving risk. We're told if you go to the grocery store, you may get sick or you may make someone else sick. What's the risk of going to work, God? What's the risk of going to church? And I just pray, God, that we, we realize we don't need to take unnecessary risk to prove your our faith to you, God, but we also need to realize there is a degree of, of risk that we have to accept in our lives in order to follow you. We know we'll be persecuted. We know it won't be a smooth road. But the reward of being in a relationship with you, a close, deep relationship with you, is worth all the risk that this world has to throw at us. Because you tell us in Scripture that you are faithful to us when we do what you ask us to, that you will be faithful to love God, protect us. And God, I just pray that that will be continued to be the case this morning for those those of us here that call Journey Church our community, God, that you will you will bless each of us. You'll help us to look at the things we're doing, God, and help us to take risks for you, risks for the kingdom, risks to share the truth with others, God, because there is always a risk, God, that those that, that aren't hearing the word, God, there is no risk involved if you reject God. We're told that you pin that you spend eternity in hell separated from you, God. That's another one of the facts that you tell us, God. And we just pray today that we'll be effective in warning others about that that reality, God, and that we will be so concerned about the well-being of others that we will let you take the risk of our lives into your hands, God. And we just pray that we'll be faithful in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.